It's great to be with you, and I really do want to welcome you if you're visiting. Um, really trust that you'll feel at home, that you felt the presence of God. It's, it's a delight always to share God's Word. I was at the vineyard last week. We had a great time there. And just to let you know that um, Chris Lane will be coming here this month, I think on the 26th, um, if I'm remembering my dates correctly, just to come and pray, to share in our time of worship. And um, it's wonderful that God is building a friendship with us and with uh, that church. So really just want to encourage you to be here that Sunday. And uh, let's really just enjoy what God's doing in this community. Eh? God is doing a wonderful thing. Just to let you know also that Paul is not here this morning. Paul is in Uganda leading a ministry trip there. And it's wonderful that we can facilitate that. And uh, we, we've been doing some things, as you know, in Uganda. And so Paul has gone on a trip just to have a look and see what's happening and how we can help further. And also Helen and uh, Kath are in Atlanta in Georgia. They left on the weekend. They're there for a week. It's a conference, a prophetic, prophetic conference that we felt would be good for them to go. So um, they're going to be, I'm sure, returning greatly encouraged. And uh, I'm really trusting God for good things to come out of that. And then just to also say that Nick has been away for two weeks, and I have asked him just to come and share for a couple of minutes. So uh, he was away on a ministry trip, and it's a delight to have Nick and Glenda working with us and working out of our church into various places where God is giving us friendship. And so I've just asked Nick to come, and if you, if you can just come and just... Everyone knows Nick, eh? So, bless you, bye. Thanks, man. I, I, I had a, a word that I feel ties in with my feedback, uh, which is from Proverbs 3. It says, Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be your confidence, and he'll keep your foot from being snared. And uh, how unconfident we are when the Lord is not our confidence, and uh, how weak we are when the Lord is not our strength. And... Uh, I kind of have this sense of God is exchanging photographs of Jesus for the real Jesus. And he's alive and he's been raised from the dead. And uh, he doesn't need anyone to beg him to build his church. That's his passion. That's his singular focus. He is the living one. He wants us to be witnesses or marturion for his glory. Not just witnesses of witnesses. Not secondhand revelation. We praise God for leaders and teachers but those men who inspire us to see Christ. Because once you've seen him, your life can never be the same again. And God sets his people on fire. He doesn't just want us to be raised from the dead. He wants us to be full of his son with a fresh testimony. Not we ought to. This is our inheritance. Amen. And I went with a fresh story to South Africa, a friend who, who grew up on a cattle farm. And uh, he said his favorite time in the cattle farming was when they raised the calves. The calves were born and they raised them in little stalls and they fed them uh, milk from bottles and meal. And after some months, I assume it was in the spring, they got to release them from the stalls. And they got to open these, these doors of these little stalls, but every calf put his brakes on because it's the only world he ever knew. And they had to nudge them and budge them and shove them and eventually kind of hoof them out the stalls. And they came into this little courtyard and they all milled around with these massive eyes looking in a complete panic and wondering what happened to their little world. And they had to be kind of nudged and budged along this pathway towards the paddock. But the incredible thing, according to this friend, is that when the gate to the paddock was opened and these calves saw the green pastures, they started to run and skip and they do 360s and they roll and they're in paradise. And I felt out of that the simple truth is Jesus is our green pasture. And, and as long as you don't see him, there's someone who needs to be nudging and budging you along the path. And, and for those of us who lead, sometimes we can spend so much time nudging and persuading people to the paddock that we can lose sight of the paddock ourselves. And if I had to summarize the incredible time I had traveling with Trevor Rishworth as well, just what, what an amazing minister of the gospel he is, into Pretoria and Port Elizabeth and Cape Town was just a sense of a fresh testimony that our God reigns, that Jesus is alive, that he is mighty over sickness, he is mighty over the darkness, he is not 
sitting on his throne with his knees knocking together. He is in awesome control. When he says to you, have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtake the wicked, peace comes in an instant to our souls. We're like those calves where panic turns to joy. So it was an amazing privilege to go into six or so churches and meet with 10 lead couples and just minister to them and be refreshed by them. All of them we have had long-standing friendships with. There's a sense of an open heavens. There's a sense of growth. But above all, I would have to summarize, if there's one common denominator, passion, it's a passion for more of the reality of the person and the power of Jesus Christ. And it's not just coming from a left-wing lunatic fringe of rebels who, who just want to run and find their own paddock because this is something we find together. Amen. There's such a beauty in church. There's such power to spiritual community. We are strong. One puts a thousand to flight, two put 10,000 to flight, but that's only two who are seeing Jesus together. May this church also inspire. May, may we who minister, those of you who minister, we're all ministers, inspire each other to a firsthand revelation of Jesus. I love this church. In three short months, I can say this is our home. And God is knitting our hearts with you and and us with each other. But the common denominator hub is Jesus Christ. We don't want some secular charity or spiritual charity. We don't want something that's just about pattern and not about the person. We don't want to offer hungry people photographs of food. We want to offer them real food. And guess what? Jesus is is into all of that. And the the finest is yet to come. I don't want to hype you up, but there's a sense across South Africa, the folk we sat with, of an outbreak of a fresh revival spirit, a fresh sense of miracles happening. Uh, I've got a friend who leads a church in South Africa. That they've just been teaching into, into, into the power of God, the power of the gospel. They went into a, a, a home for the deaf this week and prayed for eight people, two of whom included those who were born deaf. Five had their hearing restored perfectly. And those reports, you can't, you know, that kind of thing beats theory any day of the week. And, and we're not here just to represent a photograph and show people a photo album of Jesus. We are here as little Christ, as Christians with a fresh testimony. Say, come, you can feed from Christ in our lives and in our togetherness, you'll find Christ. He is the, the remedy for the, the wounded and he is the, the, the heart that people, the lonely people are looking for and he's here. And he's in South Africa too. And this is not much of a feedback, I know. But God is on the move. And it's a fine time for us to not give way to panic, to not fear, spend our finest energy on, 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 not tr- on trying not to fear the disaster that will overtake the wicked. It's a fine time for us to say, Jesus, restore my hunger for you. Show me the pasture that I don't need people who are dragging me. And I'm not jumping for the false fields. I want the real green pasture of Jesus. Amen. Bless you. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, bro. So, Father, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of preaching. And I pray, Lord, as I share something of the future, of the vision for the next season, this new era that you're taking us into, I pray, Lord, you'd give me grace. I pray these words would come with grace. I pray they would come with authority because you have spoken them into my heart. And uh, I trust you for that now. In Jesus' name. Are you in Acts chapter 11? Good. <clears throat> I love reading about the church in Antioch. It always has excited me. And uh, I'm going to call these next couple of weeks the shape of the future. The shape of the future. I'm pushing pause on uh, teaching out of the Sermon on the Mount just for a while. Because I feel in terms of what God is leading us into, I really just want to try and paint something of a picture for you of the future of this church, and I'm going to do that over two weeks. I'm going to do two two installments, one this week, we can talk some specifics this week, and then next week I'm going to make some announcements and and talk some other specifics with you. But I'm very, very excited, all right? So it's a two-part little thing, and uh, I really trust that you'll be here next week to hear also some of the good things that um, I believe God has in store for us. But Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we're just going to read two portions. Those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Amen? 
Wherever the gospel is preached, people come to Christ. News of this, good news, reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, I love this verse, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Amen. Go with me to uh, Acts 13, just a couple more verses. In the church at Antioch, verse 1, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Hedrod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It's an amazing little cameo in terms of the church at Antioch. And it always, always excites me. And I believe there's something of God's future for us in those verses. And I want to try and unpack some of those things for you this morning. Before I do that, can I read a couple of portions out of this book? I, I have um, mentioned it before, but just some things that I felt God speak to me as I've been reading. Vision changes as we grow up in Christ. Vision requires redefinition as we achieve goals set by the Holy Spirit. Every vision can last for only three to five years before major redefinition is needed, simply because people grow, people change, and people become more Christ-like. Therefore, we must reinvent our relationships in the same time period, lest our real friendships become present past relationships instead of adjusting constantly from the present to the future. The Father is always present future in His relationship with us. Can I just read another portion? Pioneering vision must always eventually give way to empowering vision. A pioneering vision is usually given to an individual or a couple or a small team starting a work. They charge the atmosphere with vision, giving focus, direction, energy, and faith, often singled-minded and dominant faith, and God adds to these people with human resources such as spiritual growth and finances. Two more paragraphs, all right? Are you getting this? In times of transition and major change, we must budget for failure. We have not passed this way before, and we need to lighten up on people. We are feeling our way, learning to walk in more sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. A mindset does not change in a short period. It takes time, which cannot be allocated, but can only be used wisely. We must develop better responses of obedience, intimacy, and faith. We need, we need time to upgrade our relationships with the Father, and with one another. As I've mentioned, pioneering vision must give way to empowering one. People grow up and want to make a different contribution. They prosper, they receive a new anointing and a fresh impartation. They are wiser and more mature. Therefore, a new relationship must develop. Vision must change to accommodate all that as God has developed in the group. I believe we're in a time of radical transformation. And if you are visiting this morning and it's your first time in this church, please just bear with me because this is a time of us moving as a, as a group of people into a whole new future. So it is a time for me just to unlock some things, I hope, in God for what our future holds. All right? So uh, he, this uh, Grand Cook carries on to say this. He says this. We need apostles and prophets to combine together to lay foundations in the church that God is birthing through the period of transition. We need pastors and teachers to help build on top 
and uh, 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 build on top of the, su- the supernatural input. If the church does not make place for all of the fivefold giftings to operate both on a consultant and an operational basis, we cannot rise to the qu- required level of supernatural anointing that will create breakthrough of our regions and cities. In other relations, in, addi- in addition, we need other partnerships between prophets and teachers to further develop a life in the Spirit, to enable people to hear prophetically, to know God's will, and to develop authority and accountability, to nurture them into an experience and a place of power, increasing faith and anointing. We also need partnerships between the evangelists and pastors so that we can align people with the heart of God for the lost. If we are to reach a hurting world, we must learn the wisdom and power required to create an open heaven where we live. As I've just been reading this book and meditating on the future of what God has for us, I believe that we are in a profound time of change as a church. I believe that we are, you're not going to recognize this church in six months because the pioneering team that has brought us this far is needing to change and there's a whole lot of things that are needing to change so that we can be empowered from the grassroots up, all of you. All right? And for me, that's incredibly, incredibly exciting. And I felt God speak to me this week about some keys that we need to develop as we move through this period of transition. And can I just mention four little things that's underpinning everything that I want to say this morning. First of all, we need to guard our friendships covenantally. Got to guard our friendships. I've spoken about this already. Whenever you go through change, your relationships and your friendships are tested and tried. We need to guard our friendships covenantally as we go forward. I don't know perfectly what the future is going to look like. I love this baby that God has given us. Eight years and we have this baby. It's a beautiful baby. It is beautiful. It is amazing. And now it's time that the baby is going to grow up a little. We don't throw the baby out. We don't say, oh, what a, what a silly baby. You're only a baby. No, we say, God, thank you for the baby. Thank you for what you've given, what you've birthed, and now we want to grow up into all things that Christ wants us to grow up into. Amen? God, our friendship. Secondly, we need to be a people of faith. I've been reading Hebrews 11 in some of my devotions, and it says, in Hebrews it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. My friends, we are going to be required to uh, encourage each other in faith and to, to live in a place of faith as we go forward in this period of tri- uh, this time of transition. Hebrews also says, thirdly, that we need to be patient. I'm not good at that. How many of you are good at being patient? I'm not good at being patient. Full of faith, full of wanting what God is going to take us into, but the scripture says it's faith and patience that inherit the promises. So in all that God wants to do, can I encourage you that you are full of faith, but that you're also full of patience. Because God doesn't, always do things like we'd like them to be done. I, I met my beautiful wife when I was nearly 29. I thought it was over. I'd been in a number of relationships that hadn't worked. I thought, this is it, God. I'm just, I'm, I'm, there I am, on the shelf at 30. <laughs> you guys also feel like that sometimes, eh? It's not just the girls. And then I met Helen and within three weeks we were engaged, within six months we were married, and that was it. When God does it, sometimes it's like, boof, it's just you know. And you can be waiting and waiting and waiting, and you can lose your patience, lose your patience, and often you make bad decisions when you lose your patience. And you don't get God's best for you, you get just good. All of you that are hanging on for partners, don't give in. Wait for the best that God has for you. There was a prophetic word at our prayer meeting on, on uh, Thursday night that the next year is going to be a year of weddings. I'm happy. I put my hand up for that. Patience. Th- fourthly, can, we, can I ask you, we need to be a people of courage. A people of courage to inherit. It's one thing to see what God has for you. It's one thing to have the faith to, to uh, believe God for what He has for you. It's good to be patient, but actually to make brave decisions to unlock the future requires courage. Courage. And I'm saying to you, we're going to need some courage in the next year. We're going to make some brave decisions. And I hope that's going to unlock the future 
that God has for us. Trevor emailed me from South Africa with this prophetic picture out of Joshua. He said this, I keep coming back to the story where Joshua leads the Israelites across the Jordan. The Ark of the Covenant is carried by the priests ahead of the people, and the people were to follow, keeping about a thousand yards between them and the Ark. Once the priests reached the middle of the river, they were to wait there until all had crossed over. The sense that I have is that there's going to be a time when it seems many are not crossing over into the new era. That people might seem to get even less engaged and passionate over the coming weeks, but that this gap, the thousand yards, will be narrowed until the people pass across while the leaders stand firm, keeping back the water that could cut people off. There's also a sense that it must have taken people a while to even know what was happening as there were millions of them walking in line. The sense that I have is that the good news of what God is doing is going to filter down the line, through the ranks, through the families, until the church crosses over, until they go ahead of the leaders who had just had the, job, the key job of keeping the waters back. And that you will be leading a church who does not need motivation other than the well of Christ deep within them. I want to lead that kind of church where people are not passionate from the inside out. I spoke to you about wells and fences. Not putting up fences in people's lives, but allowing the well, the living water, to be bubbling up so that they live radically for Christ with the gospel at the center of their lives. Amen? I know it is cold, all right? And we've got to go through a whole winter. So I want to encourage you. We'll talk about it next week. We can put some heating in here so that you don't have to shiver, but it's going to cost some bucks. That's the good news. We can put heating in. The bad news is? The bucks. So we'll talk about it, all right? But until then, we've got some heaters. We're experimenting with different kinds of heaters. Just bring a great coat, bring a scarf, bring some things, and uh, come enjoy it. Join with us every week, all right? Furthermore, he says this. He says, I believe it's important to be patient in this law. Be patient. The gap between where you are and where many people are, and God will cross us over. This is a time to fight from keeping building fences and to stay true to building wells. I feel that fences get immediate results, and some are kept in, but others are cut out. The heart and passion that you have been sharing these past weeks is absolutely key for us to cross over as a church. My friends, I want every one of you to cross over with us. I can't force you to come. I can encourage you. I can say, please come. God has a future in store that is absolutely radiant and wonderful. And I'm not trying to hype you. I'm absolutely convinced of that. I'm convinced that we are going to see salvation like never before. I'm convinced we're going to see healing and signs and wonders like never before. As one, with one heart, we enjoy this romance that we have with Jesus. It was so easy to lead worship this morning. Why? Because I could hear you people singing. When there's worship in the heart, it comes out of the mouth. When there's a smile on the inside, it hits your face. It does. You can't legislate it from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. Can I read something that Oswald Chambers said? I love this. I was reading this in my devotion this week. Faith is active opposition to common sense. Sorry, faith in active opposition to common sense is mistaken enthusiasm and narrow-mindedness. And common sense in opposition to faith demonstrates a mistaken reliance on reason as the basis for truth. The life of faith brings these two into proper relationship. Common sense and faith are as different from each other as the natural life is from the spiritual and as impulsiveness is from inspiration. Nothing that Jesus ever said was common sense, but it was revelation sense and is complete whereas common sense falls short. Faith must be tested and tried before it becomes real in your life. God has spoken of the future. It's going to require faith. We don't want to just make pragmatic decisions as we go into the future. We want to make faith-filled decisions based on what He's spoken to unlock the future that He has for us. Amen. Acts chapter 11. A picture something of the future that God has for us. Can I give you 10 little things that I just felt are key for us? One, 
This church in Antioch was birthed in spite of hardship. It says there was persecution happening, and out of the persecution that happened as a result of Stephen, it says there was great hardship, but this church was birthed. Ah, so encouraged by that. So encouraged. In the midst of the credit crunch, in the midst of all these things, God is doing something amazing in the hearts of His people. I want to speak that over you. Blessing, every good thing that God has for you. Secondly, it's a church with a radical, passionate love for Jesus. The church in Antioch. It's a, a, a church with a radical, passionate love for Jesus. Let it be said of this church, they love Jesus. They love Jesus. Above all, they love Jesus. Thirdly, we read, it says that Barnabas came and he saw the evidence of the grace of God and he encouraged them all to remain faithful with all of their hearts. I want to speak that over you as a church. I want to say my desire, and I believe God's desire, is that all of us move into the future that God has for us. A church of the all. And Acts 2.42, you know it well, it says... They met in each other's homes. They shared all that they had. There's this amazing picture of this gospel-impacted people who just give everything for Jesus. And I want to speak that over this church, that we will become a church of the all. Not a church of some people doing all the work, but a church of all the people doing all that they can to preach the gospel to every corner of the planet so that the end can come and Jesus can come back for a pure and a spotless and a beautiful bride. I love, it says, the evidence of the grace of God was, was seen to those outside the church community. Doesn't that encourage you? I want to say as for, to, to us as a church that people are going to come and they're going to see the evidence of the grace of God and they are going to rejoice with us. That's something of the future. Point number five, it says, a church, it says the church in Antioch, many were saved. That is part of the future for us. And I don't want to embarrass Bob, but Bob got saved last Sunday night. Isn't that wonderful? It is absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Scripture says that all the angels rejoice in heaven, and so we should rejoice as well, that someone came into the kingdom. It's an absolute miracle that anyone gets saved. And I'm showing my roots here, because if you're a Calvinist, you got saved. God found you. If you're more Arminian, you found God. Well, whatever your theology, I don't mind. But my theology is that God found me. While I was dead in my sin, He found me. I can do nothing to please Him. Is that all right? Point number six. Church of the Word. It says that Paul and Barnabas taught for a whole year. They taught the church. This church is going to increasingly become a church radically based on the Word of God. Teaching the Word, living the Word, being transformed by the Word, being washed by the Word. And I, I, I promise you from this pulpit you will hear the Word preached. And that can offend us sometimes. It can make us uncomfortable most of the time. But the Word is going to be preached. And I want to show you that from this pulpit, those men and women that preach from this pulpit will preach the Word of God to you. Amen? We read in, in uh, Acts chapter 13, we read of all these guys from different backgrounds. We read, uh, there's a Nigerian, there's a, a guy who had grown up in the, in the, house, the royal household. I love that picture of this absolute uh, multicultural community. And out of that community, we see ministry being released. We're seeing ministry being released out of the church of Antioch. And I want to say to you, I want to speak it over you as a church, that out of this church, we are increasingly going to see Ministry released to bless, not only in, a, in an abstract way, just be a blessing, but to build with people out of relationship. All right, is that good for you? <laughs> and it's good for me because this weekend we have people in Atlanta, we have people in Uganda, and a couple of weeks ago Paul was up in Birmingham, and uh, I'm missing some people out. Mark's going to Brandenburg, and Nick was in South Africa. Why? Because we believe that ministry must be released from here to impact and I want to speak over you into the community that you would impact your community, your university, your school, your workplace, because the gospel of Jesus is permeating you and, and bubbling on the inside of you. 
I believe there are Ephesians 4 gifts locked up in this church. And part of me saying we want to empower from the grassroots up is that there are gifts upon you that need to be released to be a, not only just be a blessing here, but to bless other churches and communities. I believe it with all my heart. We want to see that happen. Are you with me? And then we also that Barnabas goes and finds Paul. And he says, Paul, come and be with us. And so there's this double thing that happens. There's the release from the inside out, and then there's the help from the outside in. And it's not a, it's not a, it's a, God is, in his timing, is absolutely amazing. amazing. And it's, it, it is incredible to me that at this time, when this church is going through this transition, God blesses us and says, I will give you my servants, Nick and Glenda, to be your friends, to help you. I, I'll say, thank you, Lord. It's both. And there will be other friends that will come in and help us. Other people from other nations. We, we said, uh, I said to God a couple of years ago, Lord, I'll take anybody from anywhere. I just want to see your kingdom come. Send the warriors. Australians, Americans, whoever wants to come. English people, even the Welsh, Jill. Even the Welsh. <laughs> Bring them. We want to partner together. We want to see your kingdom come in us. And so there's this thing that happens, inside out, outside in. And I've told you, I'm delighted that Rihanna is coming to help us for a period of time. Rihanna is an amazing singer, worship leader. She's going to be here in the next week or so. She's going to come help us. Why? It's a partnership. Doesn't it excite you? It excites me. Church of Apostolic Partnership. And it says also, point nine, a church filled, it says they were good men. Good men. I want a church full of good men and good women. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of power, not living for themselves, but living for others. Don't you want to be part of a church like that? Of good men and women. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of power. Living their lives for Jesus. Uh, To summarize those ten little points, simply this. In short, the church in Antioch was a radically gospel-centered community that could not help itself but preach the good news of Jesus. I want to say to you, let this church become that. As I was praying this week, I felt God take me to Isaiah 35 again. Can, I, can you turn there with me? Isaiah 35. I felt this is a prophetic promise for us. I want to remind you of this. Everyone asks us, why was this church called Forest Town Church? Well, before we even came here, we had a prophetic word from God which said this would be a planting in the desert. A place that was barren, and God would bring life. And He said to us that there will be all sorts of trees that grow up together. The cypress, the myrtle, the olive, the pine. And those trees shouldn't grow together because they all require different geographies and they all require different environments, but they grow together. And we felt God speaking to us and saying that in this place, there would be multi-diverse people. And they, in the natural, they shouldn't go together, but they will by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? So people can say, God did it. <laughs> it's wonderful. And here, Isaiah 35, I want to ask you just to allow God to remind you of those things. And I feel like this is a promise for us, for this new season. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. Gladness is coming. I love, uh, there was a series of messages I heard a while back by um, uh, the Italian ball guy. What's his name? Baptist. Luigi, no. Tony Campolo. Tony Campolo. And it was called, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It might be Friday, but Sunday's coming. I want to say there's going to be some gladness this year. There's going to be much rejoicing. It says the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It it will blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. There's going to be much singing. There's going to be much joy. There's going to be much rejoicing. And the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. And they shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. And this is what I felt for all of you. Strengthen the weak hands. 
Make firm the feeble knees. Anyone feel weak? Knees? but shaky? Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and do not fear. I want to say to all of you, anyone with any anxiety this morning, be strong. Don't yourself. Be strong in the Lord. Yes? Strengthen your feeble arms, your knees that are knocking together. Why? Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of our God. He will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. You know what? You can be mute because you can't, you, you can't speak, but there's also people who are mute because they can't sing. Because there's nothing on the inside to sing about. God's going to unstop your lips. It says, Paul and Silas were in the jail in the book of Acts. It says, about midnight. And remember, James had just been killed, right? And it says, about midnight, they were singing songs in the jail. <laughs> I love that. You know, it's easy to sing when things are going well, but when you're in the jail, when you're in debt, when you are just fearing for your future, it's another pl- thing to sing in that place, through the bars, and to sing of the glory of God. And then as you sing, while you're staring through the bars that are imprisoning you, you sing, something happens on the inside, and bring, God brings supernatural release. Now, the world sings when they're happy. Christians sing... Because there's a God on the inside of them that enables them to sing when they're looking through the bars. I'm completely sidetracked, but anyway. And it says, For water breaks forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunts of jackals where they lie down, the grass will become reeds and rushes and a highway will be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. God is leading a holy people. And He says to us, Be holy, for I am holy. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. And even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come and be upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And I love this. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, much singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. My friends, this year, Sorrow and sighing are going to flee. We're going to return with singing, with great joy. Are you with me? You might say, well, that's all very well. That's a nice picture and uh, how things are going to change. Well, I'm going to give you some practical things now in terms of how we see something of the practical working of this church change. I'm going to talk some things this, through this, this week and the next week we'll talk some other things through with you. First thing I want to say to you is we want to release a whole lot more leaders. And I'm not elevating leadership. I'm just saying I want to see a whole lot more people that are burning with a passion for Jesus be released into the life of this church. And we are refashioning our leadership team so we can be more effective with people's gifting and people's calling. And I believe what has brought us this far, what has worked for us in the last eight years, has been good. And we've worked with elders and deacons working together. And that's been a good strategy to get us to this place. But I feel like God is showing us some new things to be more effective in the future. And we've been talking about these things with elders, with the elders and a number of other guys that have invited in to this uh, forum that we've been having on Wednesday afternoons, just to hear from different people in terms of what God is laying on their hearts. And out of that, I feel like God has been challenging me about what it means to be a deacon uh, and how that is worked out both on a local level and a translocal level, where the person's gifting and their sphere of influence. And I also believe, secondly, that God has given us a strategy from the book of Acts that we should meet together in each other's homes. That's what it says. It says they met daily, in fact, in each other's homes. And that small groups in the life of the church are key building blocks to establish the church and the church community. We need small groups. 
So without putting any fences up, okay, we want wells, we don't want fences. So without putting any fences up around people, I want to free you, but I hope at the same time what I say is going to deeply encourage you. And I believe that those who have helped us in the last eight years leading hope groups, leading home groups, should be leading those groups from a sense of inner devotion and inner compulsion because Christ has called them and because they love you. They love you. And they want to give themselves out of love to this church community. That's the only reason people should be doing what they're doing. Because they love Jesus and they love you. That's it. And I want to be, I am passionate and I want, I want to passionately run into the future that God has for us. We want to be extravagant and extravagant in our praise and extravagant in our worship and extravagant in every way and we want to run with those that God has for us to run with. So together with some of these, that have, these uh, friends that have been leading with us for the last eight years, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to ask a number of you to come and join us. And we would like to multiply and see a whole lot more small groups released in different ways into the life of the church. So if you get a phone call from me in the next couple of weeks, that's what it's about, right? So you know already. Sometimes when I phone people, it's like, is it for coffee or have I done something? <laughs> it's like, why is it always like that? I'm a nice guy. I just want to be your mate. Some of the guys that have been leading small groups are going to hand over their small groups and they're going to plant others. I think that's a good thing, good strategy. If you've done it well, that you go and do it again. And then we're going to ask some others to go and start afresh with a couple of people to help them. For me, very, very exciting. Why? Because God is bringing growth. And I've said to those that have been leading with us over the last eight years that for this new era that God is taking us into, if they genuinely feel in God that they cannot lead a group into the, into the new thing that God is doing, then I want to, with, with uh, gratitude and thanks on my lips and in my heart, release them from leading a home group. Yeah? Knowing that we love everyone, that we are grateful for everything that people have given in terms of the energy and their time, but we believe that going into this new era, each of us have to find what God wants us to do and to do that with a fresh vigor, a fresh passion, and a fresh enthusiasm. So I've said to the guys, if it's not leading a home group for you, please just tell me right now because we want to charge into the future. And it's, not, it's, not, it's wonderful what God has brought us to this point. It's, it's wonderful and we're so grateful, but we, we want to just charge ahead. And so there's liberty in that, and I trust you here in my heart. But the present team that we are working with is going to take on a new identity as a team of home group leaders. All right? A team of home group leaders. Some old ones, some new ones, home groups. And out of that, we are trusting that in the future, in the next six months, three to six months, God will show us who are to be key deacons for us in the life of this church. Are you with me? And so we are changing the structure of the, of the, of the leadership team. And I, I believe, as you look at the book of Acts, you see deacons such as Stephen, and he operated in a five-fold capacity. He operated with power. He operated with calling. He broke open many things. There's revival that comes through guys that are deacons, and yet they're never elders. They are deacons working with power and enthusiasm and passion and gifting and calling and anointing, working translocally and breaking open communities. Well, we've got to find something of that. Amen? We've got to find something of that in God. We've got to say, God, show us, help us. That's why I'm saying some of you are, un are gifts to this church that need to be unlocked. And I believe that uh, Scripture is clear. Elders need to give themselves primarily as shepherds, as pastors. We need elders that have time to do the thing of shepherding. Shepherding with the people. Time to give. Carrying government, carrying authority, carrying anointing, but having time to be with the people. That's what an elder is called to do. And the deacons co-labor with them, full of men and women, full of the Holy Spirit, full of power, who flow in the gifting to help and equip and strengthen the believers. Is that all right? 
I also want to say that at the same time as we're trying to refashion things for the future, I don't want us ever to settle into a culture of convenience where we only give ourselves to the extent that we are comfortable and we don't stretch or grow in our anointing and our sphere of influence. So we don't want to just settle. We don't want to just become comfortable and become small. No, we want to grow and enlarge and allow God to fashion and shape us. And as Jesus taught, he said in the parable of the talents that if we are faithful with small, with little, he'll make us faithful with much. And so when we have our own personal well of revelation of Jesus, of his call on our lives, it becomes a joy, it becomes a delight to serve him, and nothing is too much of a sacrifice because when we hear his voice, we delight to hear his voice, and we delight to obey. Amen. So perhaps for some of us, Jesus' voice has grown a little dim, and other voices have become louder. I used the the uh, illustration of a song. What song are you singing? What's the song of your heart? Is it the song of your marriage? That's good. Is it the song of your career? That's good. But is it the song of the gospel of Jesus? That's the best. And that needs to permeate in us. So what I do need to say to all of you as we move into this new era is that this church has come this far because of the grace of God to us all and also because of your love, your devotion, and your servanthood. And to the leadership team and to all of you as saints, our words cannot say how much we appreciate all of you and what you've done for Jesus and what you've done for his kingdom. And the times that you've cared for people, where you've uh, walked through people going through difficult times, phoned them, encouraged them, given them meals. And I know one day in heaven you will receive your reward in full. That's what the scripture says. But I want to affirm and say thank you from the bottom of my heart for each and every one of you and all that you've done to take us forward into this place where we are right now. And Nick sent me this quote, which I found a really challenging one. I want to share it, share it with you. It, says, it simply says this, If you are here unfaithfully with us, you are causing terrible damage. If you are here unfaithfully with us, you are causing terrible damage. In other words, if it's not the real you, it's not the authentic self, then we are building with deceptions, we are building with facades, and it's only a matter of time before niceness and diplomacy give way to anger, exhaustion, the decay of disappointment, and ultimately desertion. In this hour, what is most needed, as we transition, as we go into the new season, in this hour, what is most needed is the Spirit of Jesus, of grace and truth, that brings gospel jewels of gentle power, of open-hearted ministry, of integrity, of true unity, and a healthy disagreement at times, perhaps, but courage with conviction and the recognition of diverse lives and callings and of persevering covenant. That's what we need. Amen? So as we structure these, restructure these home groups, I just want to say this. We don't want to just change things for the sake of changing things. But a smaller group within the life of the church, I want everyone to find a smaller group where they can find genuine friendship and a place to share the journey of their lives with those that love them. We must find a place to do that. Secondly, where we can encourage from the Word, not in a preaching kind of way, but through sharing and discussion as, uh, with each other in that safe place. Thirdly, small groups should be creating opportunity for people to grow in confidence in different areas of ministry, such as praying for the sick, laying hands on each other, prophesying, etc., etc. The small group should be a place where we grow in that confidence. And so I've said to the guys leading home groups that I, I, I desire for greater flexibility to be released. So we have been meeting mostly on uh, Wednesday nights, but if, if, if for your group it, it would be better to meet on a different evening of the week, for heaven's sake, just meet on a different evening of the week. If you have loads of little kids and you prefer to meet on a Sunday afternoon, then meet on a Sunday afternoon. Amen? I just want you to meet together. I don't want it to get so flexible that we never meet. What's the point of that? Are we meeting sometime? When is it? Oh, I don't know, sometime. Now they met together in each other's homes daily. They encouraged each other. They refreshed each other. Let it be spontaneous. Let it be flexible. Let it be organic. But let it happen. All right. And then, secondly, just to restructure our prayer times. We've been thinking and praying as elders. How do we, we believe in corporate prayer. And we, we want to pray together. 
So what we are putting to you as a church is this, is that on the first Wednesday of every month, the first Wednesday of every month, which is now next Wednesday, we would like to serve you a meal at 7 o'clock, between 7 and quarter to 8. And George is going to bring some paste, pasties, you know, pasties, freshly baked. You can come straight from work. Bring your children. We will feed them as well. Okay? And about half past seven, quarter to eight, we are going to pray as a church. Every first Wednesday of the month, we are going to pray together. Because it's nice for us to have our devotion at home, but there's something powerful that happens when the whole church prays. And we're going to pray. And then the second, third, and fourth Wednesday of each month, you get into each other's homes, you have coffee, you have fellowship, and so we have it getting into a routine of praying together corporately every first Wednesday of every month, and then we are resurrecting the prayer meeting before our Sunday morning meeting. The musicians will be finished by around 10 o'clock. From quarter past 10 to quarter to 11, we're going to get together every Sunday morning, and we're going to pray. That went down well. Okay, from quarter past 10 to quarter to 11, we're going to get together, and we're going to pray. Yes, well done. All right. Why? Because we believe in prayer. And then from quarter to 11, till 11, we will welcome the visitors and love on people and all that stuff. Can I ask, Jeremy, as I've been, uh, it's amazing when your wife's away, you get time to do a whole lot of stuff, eh? So I've been listening to some music again. I just got so encouraged by this song. I want to play it for you. It's a song by Casting Crowns. It's called Stuck in the Middle. And as I was just praying for the church and saying, Lord, help us, I felt this is a key for us. We don't want to be stuck in the middle. Somewhere between the old and the new.